A few weeks ago, I happened upon an article in the Washington Post about a man in Japan named Shoji Marimoto, who is known there as the do-nothing guy. He offers himself as a person who can simply just be there with other people. Now, you have to pay, of course. And he's had all kinds of outings with clients. Let me tell you a few. He waited at the finish line of a marathon for a guy who wanted to see the familiar face at the end of the race. Someone hired him to sit with them while they finished their thesis because they would slack off working alone. He listened as healthcare workers lamented about the mental toll of the pandemic. He had lunch with a woman who was moving from a certain city and wanted to eat at a favorite restaurant she and her former husband used to frequent before they split up. She said she didn't want to be flooded with thoughts about the divorce by going alone, but she also didn't want to go with a friend and have to explain the situation either. Now, this is not a new phenomenon. All over the globe, you can rent, in a strictly platonic sense, a friend who will go to activities with you. It's a service that is much in demand. What sets Shoji apart, he thinks, because he's gained a lot of viral fame, and he's a little unshaken and doesn't understand this because he's a humble guy, but he says, I think it might be because I've learned not to judge. And I have empathy for those who are going through a lot of personal challenges on the inside, but don't show it on the outside. And I was thinking how people feel incredibly empty and alone in our world today. How everywhere there's a common experience of us trying to fill the painful, gaping holes in our lives. Now on the list of how to fill this void in our hearts, renting a friend is not the worst idea on the planet. It's more beneficial than some alternatives that we can engage in. We wanna feel better, but the ache continues we can pay someone to spend time with us, but in the end, isn't the abyss still there? When they leave to go be with their family and their real friends, wouldn't we be more alone than before? Our scripture today is from the book of Philippians, where Paul is outlining how we can be like Jesus. He's telling the church what a joy it would be to bring him if they were united in Christ in humility and love and selflessness. And Paul is calling Christians to have an attitude that was stunningly radical then and continues to be on this Resurrection Sunday. So Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." 
Therefore, God also highly exalted him, that's what we celebrate today, and gave him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's pray. O oh Lord, through weak human words and understanding, we come to you, God of the universe, God of glory and might, God who is all-knowing and good. Give us the grace to hear from your living word, Jesus Christ, who we celebrate today and every day. Amen. What a rich passage before us today. As Paul is urging the Philippians to have the same mind as the Lord, he is telling the gospel story, isn't he? Jesus lived in glory but chose to become human, to be born that way, and then he humbled himself through obedience. Jesus chose death so that we could live. And because of this, he is exalted. There is no other name above the name of Jesus. And every knee on earth should bow in homage as they sing praise to the most exalted one. Jesus is Lord, Paul says, to the glory of God the Father. Now this passage traces the path that Messiah took from the highest heaven to the lowest depths and then back again to glory and it was this becoming a slave, a taking on of our sin and sorrow. The sin and sorrow that was ours to bear that leads us to praise Jesus as Lord of all. Paul's emphasis here is for the model Jesus provides to the church as we understand the gift of what is freely offered to those who believe. Now because of the richness and the profound nature of Paul's words, they have been studied and scrutinized by the finest minds in the church. But this morning, I want us to focus on just a little piece of it from verse 7. Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a slave who was born in human likeness. Jesus emptied himself. The noun there is kinun, and it pretty much means how we read it. It means literally, it can be removing items from a receptacle or pouring out of a container until nothing is left. And Paul is indicating here that Jesus emptied himself of the privilege of being God. Jesus emptied himself of all of the privilege he had of being king and divine so that he could become also man. N.T. Wright has a good quote about this. Here's what it says. It will come up for you. The pre-existent son regarded equality with God not as excusing him from the task of redemptive suffering and death, but actually as uniquely qualifying him for that vacation. Vo vacation. <laughs> I've been up a long time. <laughs> he probably wishes it was a vacation. All right, no. Actually as uniquely qualifying him for that vocation. Let's all say vocation. vocation. There it is. Here's how I read this. 
Jesus leveraged his divinity to help him die on our behalf when he could have used his divinity to create distance from us. He could have used his divinity from getting involved at all. Oh, yes, those poor little people. No, he used his divinity to come and become one of us. And I've been thinking a lot about what it means that Jesus empties himself on our behalf. Last week we sang the hymn, And Can It Be? And it has this incredible truth in it. We sang, he left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace. He emptied himself of everything but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Jesus empties himself of everything except for love. He emptied himself of the glory and the honor and the majesty. He got rid of any advantages which came from being God to become one of us. What a good way for us to remember and think about the atonement, the at one that Jesus chooses to have with us through his sacrifice. What kind of God is born as a vulnerable baby and allows himself to be raised in the care of broken humans, to minister among the poor, and then dies like a criminal on a Roman cross? And then we think about the emptiness in the story of the resurrection. We celebrate an empty cross. The cross, which is a symbol of prolonged, painful death, no longer holds Jesus' body. And the emptiness of the cross shows how death's ultimate power has been taken away. We celebrate empty grave clothes. The clothes couldn't hold Jesus either. Once willingly, he wore our garments, our garments that have been necessary since the fall, now, out of the constraints of the world, he is king once again, adorned in light. We celebrate an empty tomb, the cavern that celebrates and marks hopelessness and pain. This place, which represents death, has been transformed to be a place from which the greatest news was ever told, because in conquering death, Jesus is alive. And the empty tomb is the most remarkable thing of all. Did you know that all Christians agree on the empty tomb? Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant. And when the tomb is empty, Jesus returns to the fullness of glory. Because the power of the resurrection, we can be made whole. Because of being raised from the dead, we believe that Jesus takes on the emptiness of humanity in order to fill us with life. What kind of God leaves the splendor of glory? The kind that wants to go and prepare a place for you and for me. What an immense promise. The hope of the resurrection. Not just for what we get then, but for what we can have now. That Jesus comes to fill the emptiness of our lives, our hearts. Jesus comes to fulfill the emptiness of the purpose that we think we don't have. Of our minds, our places of worth, our homes, our churches, our relationship. Jesus enters into the empty spaces that we have miraculously. He enters into them. 
and fills them with tender love and infinite peace and abiding presence and undeniable grace. And in that, he reminds us that we are never alone. Now, to be clear, I am not preaching against Rent-A-Friend. <laughs> We're all doing what we can to get by. <clears throat> no judgment here. But there isn't a single person or a single activity or a single thing on earth that can fill the longing and the emptiness that we have in our hearts and lives. Only Jesus can do that. Our sermon theme this morning is running on empty. My 70s childhood is coming back, which is the title of a song and album by Jackson Brown. Great song, actually, by the way. Brown wrote it when he was driving back and forth from the, move, from the music studio to his house. And he said, yeah, I was always driving with no gas in the car. I just never bothered to fill up the tank because, well, how far was it anyway? Just a few blocks. And we think uh, there must have been times when he didn't make it those few blocks. When his car just stopped because it needed more fuel. How many of us right now are running on empty? Because we're just trying to get from today until tomorrow. Because we're out of time, and we're out of money, and we're out of energy, and we're out of purpose. You see, Brown could have stopped to fill up his car whenever he needed it. So can we. You see, Easter Sunday invites us to stop. And to say, Lord, I am on empty. And I am always empty without you. And I'm anxious for how I'm going to make it. We're so anxious about so many things. But there's no good reason to keep running on empty, to live in this constant reality of how we might not make it because Jesus has come for us. Now, while some of us are very aware of that emptiness, there are others of us here who are like, there's a gauge in my life? You mean, I can think about that? <laughs> or maybe we don't want to think about it. Maybe we like being oblivious about how close to the edge we really are. Listen to Paul's next thought from the other two verses after our main uh, scripture for this morning. Therefore, my beloved, just, have you, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here's the good news. We are not expected to fill ourselves. It is God who did the work. It is God who created you. It is God who died. It is God who rose with great power. God does the work in us to give us what we need for the next thing. But you guys, we have to stop. And we have to choose to be filled. And we have to choose to be filled with the right thing. Because if we're not, we're going to get stopped in a different kind of way. We don't have to be lonely and live empty lives. We work, our, we work out our salvation with the Spirit's powerful presence in us. So on this Resurrection Sunday, let's not leave here empty. 
The clothes, the cross, the grave were left behind so that we could be filled. They were emptied of their power to assure us how God's promises are anything but empty. God's promises are full for you and for me, full of life. Jesus rose again to fill us up with all that God has to offer because he knows how empty our lives are. And he wants us to go and offer his fullness to others who are empty and without hope. So this morning, let's glorify a Savior who comes into the world and fills us with his presence and love. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.